Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guests on the show are Boa Morte. They're a Cork band formed in 1998 and they're just about to release their third album. It's called Before There Was Air. That's coming out this Friday, September 27 on Gardenord Records. And I talked to Bill Toomey and Cormac Gahan about the creation of the album, why they've only released three albums in two decades, the changing Cork scene, influences such as Sigur Ross, and lots more. I talked to them just before Sounds from a Safe Harbour Festival. The plan was to get this up on the Monday after Sounds from a Safe Harbour. It's a third edition of the festival and it kind of broke me, to be perfectly honest. I was running around town all weekend and come the Monday morning I was like, I can't do anything. So I put it off for a week. The last episode of the podcast was an interview with Rosie Kearney, who I got to see at Collins on the Sunday night of Sounds from a Safe Harbour festival and she was just as amazing as I had suspected that she would be. It's my first time seeing her and hopefully it won't be my last. I think she's a really really special talent so you can check that interview out if you want and definitely check out her debut album Bear which came out uh, in January 2019. Also over the weekend I got to see Damien Rice in Cork Opera House which was really great. My first time seeing Damien Rice as well. I reviewed it for the Irish Examiner so you can read my thoughts there if you put in an old Google. Well I really loved that Damien Rice gig. I thought after Clang in St. Luke's on Saturday afternoon was absolutely magical. I've been saying it's probably the best gig that I've seen in Cork this year, maybe even in recent years. I thought there was something just so, so special about it. You might have seen the clip that Leblagotech put up on Twitter of the show of the lead singer of Efterklang walking up and down the aisle of St. Luke's, kind of almost uh, directing the audience as if it were a choir. And it was, oh, it was spine-tinglingly good just thinking about it now it just makes me really really happy they've just released their new album i think it's their first one in danish and uh it's sumptuous it's almost like the music that boa morte makes it's just really warm and relaxing and lovely to listen to i had talked to festival director mary hickson on the point of everything podcast a couple of weeks before and she was just talking about how it's for the artist first sense of the safe harbor i didn't get to see everything but it sounded like artists such as Feist who played four or five shows I think all told over the course of the weekend but there were so many special moments for audience members across the weekend as well I thought it was a really really special weekend and I'm looking forward to hopefully Sounds from a Safe Harbour 2021 the fourth edition of the festival this past weekend I was in Clonakilty for Clonakilty International Guitar Festival which has been going for over a decade. I was doing a live podcast with the lads from TPM slash the Mary Wallopers so I'll be putting that up on the feed in a couple of weeks time. Thanks to everybody who came out to the show. It was a nice packed room and the lads were really really great and I saw them playing as the Mary Wallopers later in the day in this lovely little bar in Clon called Conan Moore's, um, which always, I think it's 6pm every Saturday of the Guitar Festival, they have like a folk or trad type band, and Mary Wallopers are legit. It felt like the place was about to take off during their set. I think that's a Tommy Tiernan line, but that's exactly how it felt watching the Mary Wallopers. They're great. I think they've got an album on the way later in the year. They've got an EP up on Spotify and up on Bandcamp. It's called A Mouthful of the Mary Wallopers. So definitely check that out. Also at Clan, I saw Bouts, who I've seen four or five times and I interviewed them on this podcast earlier in the year. 
I thought that this was the best show that I've seen from them. Uh, it sounded so good, and the audience was really, really into it. And that was kind of the story of the whole Clonakilty International Guitar Festival experience for me. Just that everything across all of the venues, no matter the time of the day, it was absolutely jammed and there was very little talking. Everybody was there to appreciate what they were watching on stage. It felt like a very special experience, both for band and performer. The festivals don't stop in Cork anytime soon. We've got the inaugural Cork Podcast Festival coming up on October 11, 12 and 13. I'm doing a live show on the Sunday at 5.30 in the Kino. Tickets are free, so you can come along to that if you're around Cork for the weekend. It's going to be good. I'll be announcing my guests hopefully soon for that. And yeah, let's get to Boa Morte. As I say, their new album, Before There Was Air, is coming out this Friday, and it is really something special. I think it's going to be one of those kind of word-of-mouth successes. So consider this the first word-of-mouth that you might hear about it. You've got to listen to it when it comes out. Pre-order it and get the vinyl as well, because it's such a special looking thing as well the artwork is by craig carey from fractured air and it's so lovely so lovely they're officially launching it at the roundy on october 19 and then they're playing bellow bar up in dublin on october 24 as well and i think there might be a couple of dates coming after that as well there were a lot of rumblings around their debut album when it eventually came out in uh 2002 i didn't really dive into that part of it with them just because I thought Mike McGrath Brian on his podcast Red on Red did a really good job of it you can so you can listen to that on episode 82 if you want a little bit more history about Boa Morte but hopefully you'll still enjoy this episode that's upcoming thanks a lot to listen to me ramble here and yeah if you like the podcast you can rate it on iTunes and whatever and subscribe because there's lots of good interviews coming up I promise uh, so this is myself and Boa Morte chatting on the Point of Everything podcast. I'm Bill and I play guitar and do a little bit of backing vocals uh, in Boa Morte. And I'm Cormac and I sing and play guitar and some synth and bass. We swap around a lot in uh, the instruments in Boa Morte. So uh, we're doing this in the Blue Monkey office in the middle of Cork City and... You've just brought some uh, records and you're looking at them. Are you happy with how it's turned out? Happy with the whole process so far? Yeah, really happy. I mean, this is my first time seeing the vinyl copy and I'm really uh, happy with the the way it's turned out. It's really great. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. I guess we we commissioned Craig Carey to do the artwork. Going back, it got started a year now at this stage, but he, he did design it with kind of vinyl in mind, so the proportions of the of the the prints that he developed were and uh, are are made to suit vinyl yeah so it's great to see it in kind of 12 inch by 12 inch um looks good in cd as well and but you know it's it, it's really good to see it in its in its larger format is this the first time that you've done an album on vinyl it is it is yeah previously it's been cd and, and download um we did have a single when we were signed to shoeshine there was a single released on 7-inch vinyl way back in the day when 7-inch vinyl was a thing, um, back in 2002. But yeah, first time with a full album on vinyl. I guess that that's just kind of one of the uh, like changes in the music industry that you guys have seen like in the past 20 years. Records maybe weren't a thing back in like 98, 99, 2000. And just in the past decade, it's 
kind of become the main format, I think, apart from streaming, obviously, yeah, the main yeah, physical format. It's definitely the main physical format. You know, in, in some ways, we should have got more pressed of the vinyl, uh, but hopefully we'll sell pretty well. And I, I'm buying a lot of stuff on vinyl. You probably are as well, Bill. That's ma- the main format I'd buy on at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we've had it available for pre-order on Bandcamp for the last, you know, two or three weeks and uh and pre-orders are going really well but they're 80 85 percent vinyl which is interesting uh maybe you know seven or eight percent uh cd seven or eight percent download it, it, it kind of surprised us because we actually got more cds pressed <laughs> than vinyl so um we'll have to see how all that figures out uh in a couple of months time yeah well i was i was just talking to someone yesterday i just saw like a, a stray dvd in uh the office where i work and i was just like when was the last time you just bought dvds and it's kind of the same with cds as well like yeah. like you know the last time i actually bought a cd it's yeah. almost more difficult for me to play cds now because know. you know i don't have a cd player at home if i had a car like i'd be banging them away but um yeah, yeah it's almost hard to play cds now it is you really need the, you need the hardware to play them now and uh, you know most computers don't even have a cd player to rip them yeah. So you're not, yeah, we've moved on a bit to, to vinyl. Yeah, it is interesting, yeah. It's a, it's been a funny evolution and it's really interesting as well. I guess that our, our ears have become, become attuned to listening to stuff streaming over the last, you know, particularly the last maybe seven or eight years. We we did a test actually in, in my house, come back a couple of months ago, we, we, we were holding a kind of a vinyl listening session and we were listening to a, a Sufjan Stevens song on 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 spotify and then listen to the exact same song you know uh going in and out of the, the on vinyl but we were switching between the vinyl and the spotify on a on a, on a good quality hi-fi system and the, the difference is really stark um it is really amazing it's you know i would have always stood up for spotify and say and said yeah you know the it's you know it's listenable i think it's good but when you listen to it on good equipment next to vinyl there's just no comparison yeah i i, I don't really have the um the musical technical mindset but like what are kind of the differences that you you'd see in a or that you'd hear yeah certainly there, there's just an openness and a spatial quality and the same applies to a good quality cd recording by the way versus versus uh versus a streamed format there's just uh an openness and a greater dynamic range. So you hear little percussive elements such as, you know, if um, if there's a stringed instrument on, on vinyl, you can actually almost hear the hammers hitting the strings, whereas that seems to get compressed uh, to death on on, uh, on Spotify. And I guess it makes sense, you know, if you're downloading a song on Spotify, it downloads in about two seconds. Um, so there's, there's bound to be a lot of stuff lost <laughs> if you're taking a, a four and a half minute song at... Uh, at a, at a serious bit rate and trying to download it in two seconds yeah um have you done a listening test for uh the new album yeah we, we have i mean we look we listen to test pressings of the album so it um sounds great on, on vinyl um so i mean there's no, there's no complaints there I mean, it's, it's 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 transferred really well yeah yeah i think it has yeah we we probably got test pressings about two months ago and uh I think we always had vinyl in mind when we recorded it. You know, we recorded the album to be 44 minutes long. 40 to 45 minutes is kind of the optimal for vinyl to get to get that, you know, that really fine point between between quality and, and duration. Also, the album, it isn't it isn't just 10 songs with space between them. Um, it's uh, each song kind of ebbs and flows into the other. So, you know, even if you listen to it in CD, there's no digital silence uh, between songs. So I think uh, 
as, as a body of work. It was designed to be listened to as one entity. Albeit you could listen to individual songs as well if you wish, right? But we do have linkers between the, between the songs and we've got kind of thematic links as well between various songs. Um, so I think it makes sense, or in our minds, you know, vinyl was probably the format that we were looking at. So it could be listened to kind of in, in one listen. Exactly, because I suppose listening to vinyl, it changes the way you listen to music as well, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it favours the album, an album that works as a whole or as, as a side one and a side two. And that's kind of the way we sequence the album, put it together uh, to suit that sort of format. Is that something that you talk about from the start? Are you like saying this is what we want to do? We want it to kind of flow as one thing? Or is that something that just kind of comes through like after maybe six months of jamming or something? It's, it's really comes through after a few months of jamming. You know, it's not something that you sort of set out to do, but you get the songs together. You know, you're polishing them and you're... you're um, finally sort of um putting them together um and then it, then the sequence sort of presents itself really you know um so, but i suppose in terms of the instrumentation we had in mind with a lot of the new instruments that we use so so we use a synth now a juno synth uh so analog synth and uh so more drones and type electronica that would actually it lends itself to really fitting those songs together so there's a drone at the end of the song um, the end of the song isn't a standard end to a song, but it sort of flows into the next one. So that that sort of informed how we sequenced the album, put put these tracks together that sort of go, they now go together. But I suppose that only occurs after final, finally writing and, and finishing the songs, you know, and, and you, you can see what fits together. Yeah, and I think um, with the first two albums, we recorded them on, on tape, on two-inch tape. Um, so we had a producer, an American guy called Daniel Presley, who came in and he was like a he was like an analog purist, I guess. You know, he insisted on vintage uh, two inch tape decks with vintage preamps uh, recording straight onto tape, bypassing the desk completely so that you were gathering an analog signal in its purest form. And that's great. I think it really, it really helps the sound and you get the, in its truest form the sound of a band playing probably. Um, what you probably lose with it is the flexibility to do exactly what Cormac was speaking about. Um, to, you know, th this album is the first one that we've recorded fully digitally, but it brought a huge amount of flexibility in terms of just being able to record multiple takes, to be able to record linkers um, that we could that we could dovetail into the endings and and the starts of songs far easier than you could if you were trying to do it analog. Um, so yeah, I think I think the format that we recorded it in as well. Um, helped us in terms of realizing that concept, and so while we were recording it, it was always uh, it was always on on the front of our minds that you know we're going to make sure we we make the use of this technology uh, in in terms of the finished product. And did you record it yourselves? No, we recorded up in in Herbert Place Studios in Dublin um, with uh, James Darkin, an engineer in Dublin. Um, so we basically went into the studio we i mean we have a small studio set up here in cork but it wouldn't have been professional enough i suppose flexible enough to, to give us what we wanted so we recorded in herbert place in, in dublin okay and um just coming back to what you said the uh themes that kind of run through the album as well was it just through the lyrics that they kind of come through um i suppose so i mean i think we'd Lyrics are, <laughs> are a funny subject because I suppose we create lyrics that are sort of more evocative of a sort of a time and place 
rather than trying to have any pure meaning in the lyrics. So they're kind of quite sort of pastoral sounding pieces that, I mean, I don't ask me to explain them, <laughs> but I suppose they're, they're more evocative of, um, of a, of a sort of a, of a sort of a, a, a um, I suppose, a, a, a feeling or a place, you know, they're not very specific. Um, it's kind of like you don't want them to get in the way of the music sort of thing? That, that's exactly it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we wouldn't really be people who, f- we don't really focus on the lyrics as such, but uh, sort of a, they're a way of moving the song along. And, and, and I think thematically as well, I think musically there's, there, is, uh, there are linkages that we are trying to create between different parts of the album. So for instance, there's, the second song, I think, yes, the second song in the album is called Sleep um, uh, Before the Landslide. It's, so it's, it's actually two, two pieces of one song. First, the first piece, or within the one song, first piece is called Sleep. The second piece of the song is called Before the Landslide. Um, but that Before the Landslide is actually, it's almost like a lead-in to the very last song of the album, which is called Landslide, uh, and uses the same chords, but in a completely different format, so the Initially, it's a string arrangement on on song two, and those same chords are used in electric guitar, um, uh, in electric guitar arrangement in in the last song of the album. So we're trying to create that kind of those musical, um, I guess, lines that run through the album as well. Without and we were very conscious as well of stretching ourselves in terms of the sound of the album as well, getting away from two guitars, bass. Um, uh, vocals and some strings, um, and Cormac's already mentioned the use of the use of synths, drones, these loops, um, far more in this album. So you know, trying to create a a landscape, I guess, that is kind of linked thematically while being pretty diverse at the same time. Um, and and again, probably the digital recording process allowed us to do that as well. I was thinking, like, is it actually difficult to? Almost reco- like I think that the album is quite restrained uh, in a way. You know, I'm kind of like I'm wondering if there's going to be this big burst of sound, and I don't think there is across any of the album. Like, is it almost difficult to kind of restrain yourselves in that way? Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's a characteristic of of the band in general. Yeah, you know, the last you, you pull all, back from yeah the two the other two albums as well are a bit like that. You know, I mean. It's it's just I suppose the way we play the instruments and the the fact that there are no big jumps or surprises, but the it it the the rises and falls in the music are due to the instrumentation coming in and out rather than uh, volume and and big effects, if you know what I mean. So it's I suppose there's a subtlety there. We hope that um, and there's a there is a gentle pace to the music, and that's just who we are. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the style. And like influence wise, have you kind of had the same influences throughout the 20 years of the band? Or do you think there's certain new things that are coming through on this album? Like, I mean, with the drone sound, when you say that, I think of someone like Lancome or something, you know, kind of a a trad folk type sound. I don't know if they played a part in the in the sound of the album coming together. Yeah, probably not. Not consciously, right? Uh, Even though the stuff that they're doing is great. But I guess, you know, in the last since the last album, we probably have been listening to a, a, a lot more elect- electronica um, we were always fans of you know the likes of probably Seeger Ross um, that John Z and Alex album Race Boy Sleeps would be a bit of a touchstone in terms of um, an album which thematically and sonically is an entity from start to finish um, and uh, you know there's there's touches of 
you know, we've been listening to probably quite a bit of new new classical uh, over the past seven or eight years as well. Somebody like Dustin O'Halloran, who's, who's is he's playing so, so safe harbour, is he? Yeah. I think he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. And uh, and the likes of John Hopkins, even from an electronic perspective. So I, I, I think if you were to listen to the second album, the last one, which was the Dial Waltz uh, and this one, I think um, I think it's it. We have probably um, absorbed a greater degree of diverse influences than maybe we had had prior to that, and I think you can hear that coming through. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's he's not necessarily an influence, but I think it sounds a bit. It, we really like Peter Bro- Peter Broderick, and I suppose his albums are a mixture of sung songs, proper songs, if you like, sung. And um, and a lot of instrumental pieces that intertwine, and it's it's come out a bit like that, not consciously, but um, I suppose the album itself has has sort of come out sounding a bit, a bit like like something that he might do. <laughs> I think so, yeah. And our, our first two albums were were probably about ninety percent sung. This album is you know sixty sixty five percent sung, uh, with, and yeah, maybe so that's a big difference. Thirty to thirty five percent of you know just musical pieces i guess uh, and musical arrangements yeah like as well as kind of like i was waiting for the kind of the the rush of sound that kind of doesn't come uh i I find that it's a very just relaxing album like i was just listening to it uh on the way here and it really does kind of suck you in and it does sound like you've thought very much about the album side of it like was that always the plan that you know we, we wouldn't rush the music we wouldn't put out singles like uh to uh, be- before they're all ready to be heard together sort of thing yeah yeah that definitely is it and one thing we can never be accused of is rushing anything you know it's it's been nine years uh or maybe even ten since the last album um but yeah we were conscious of it just in the lead up to the release of you know sometimes you you know rightfully so probably you hear a lot of bands releasing two three four songs on spotify or on youtube as tasters in advance of the album release and yeah, we really want this to stand up as as a coherent body of work. Um, so we released a taster, one of the songs. Um, but yeah, we would prefer f- for people really to listen to it as 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 a piece from start to finish. Um, having said that, if people choose to download individual tracks, that's that's fine. That's fine because they do stand up on their own as well, I think. Um, but really, yeah, in our minds, it is designed to be listened to as as one piece. There's a couple of tracks, maybe particularly the first one, I think, where the piano comes in mm. um, kind of halfway through and it kind of continues on uh, through the rest of the song, like the second half of the song. I was thinking like I could definitely imagine hearing this on a Spotify playlist yeah, yeah. Mm. or something. Is, is that something that you ever like talked about? Like, uh, Well, I mean, we would be aiming to do that sort of thing, but it's actually diff- it seems to be quite difficult to get onto those playlists. You know, I'd, I've we've i've emailed spotify in the past <laughs> no luck <laughs> so um i suppose it depends on your the press that you get for the album and things like that and it has to be spotted by somebody um so i don't know what the science is behind getting a, a yeah, song yeah, on yeah. a spotify playlist and at the end of the day i think we're we're releasing this without any sense of desperation or you know we're, we we we've put it together we're going to put it out into the world i guess but you know, we're, it's not like we're relying on the sales of this to, to make a living or, 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 you know, we're hoping to recoup our expenses. We're hoping as many people as possible get to hear it. Um, you know, we're hoping for positive reviews, but um, and we're hoping that leads on to, you know, being playlisted on Spotify or whatever. Um, 
but really it's it's probably not something that we're you know desperately uh seeking to 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 push you know either you know you alluded to uh the length of time that it's been since the last album it's three albums in uh 20 years so obviously not not rushing it or anything uh like that but do you see so do you see the band kind of almost as a not a hobby like but kind of like just a creative outlet that it's nice to go back when you're ready and kind of just uh indulge in those creative processes yeah, i mean it is it, it that's what it is i mean it's 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 certain it's certainly not a hobby because that sort of belittles it yeah. a bit but so we take we treat it very seriously when we sort of get into the studio and we we, we want to make as good a, a rec- recording as we can obviously and um but the way we, we the way we um we do it i suppose is slightly different to other bands maybe in that we take so much time that um you know sort of years can go by and and you make sort of little incremental changes to the songs <laughs> and um you can also wait until you've got you know 10 songs or whatever it is that you feel are good enough to put on an album and so you're not rushing it and maybe putting out five songs that are good and then five that are that aren't quite up there so we we've thrown out a few songs a good few songs and we work on the ones we we'd like to work on and i suppose we can take our time at it um so some of the some of the ideas that came into the last album i just occur to you you know maybe six months after you first heard the song or a year after you first heard the song so you've got a lot of time to to sort of meditate on what you want to put into it so it's probably slightly different to trying to put an album out every two years where you've got a you've got this sort of deadline you know um so we certainly (laughs) certainly didn't do that but um so it, it changes the perspective a bit it's just I mean, as long as we're enjoying it, we're going to keep doing it, you know, so we just enjoy, I suppose, the creative process of practicing, rehearsing, putting the songs together. Uh, and then really the studio is great. I mean, it's a great place to be if you're if you're sort of feeling creative. I mean, it's a great uh, we, we probably spent seven days at recording this only. But it's it's a sort of a great seven days because you're really in creative mode. It's very different to anything you do in your professional life for instance you know it's it's a very different outlet nine or ten years since uh the last album when did you decide to kind of regroup and get back together and start making start talking about making new music and had you ever talked about like you know like not getting back together or anything like that or was it were you always going to make a third album yeah i think we were always going to do it yeah and uh, you know probably after the last album and after we had done a a round of gigs to support it. We, yeah, we probably went dormant uh, for probably a year or two there, and uh, we, you know, some of us were rearing families. And um, but yeah, it was around maybe 2014, 2015. We decided, as opposed to practicing or getting together and meeting four times a year, let's start doing it once a week. Uh, probably once every two weeks for a start, and then once a week, and every uh, twice a week probably for the last while. Um, so yeah, it kind of gradually built up. But it's not as if we ever fell out of contact with each other. The, the thought of not doing something would never even have occurred to us. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a, I, it does feel a bit different this time in that we've got a, we've got a, a certain momentum. Um, I think that will see us releasing this, you know, playing it live a bit, but then maybe getting back into the studio again very quickly, you know, certainly next year at some stage with a view to getting something out in, in 2021. 
uh, might live, live to rue that, right? But, but certainly, <laughs> but, cer- but certainly, the the momentum feels a lot different this time because I guess our personal circumstances uh, probably lend themselves to 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 it probably more than than it did with the last album. So yeah. Uh, Cormac, you're, you're you're laughing there. Do you, do you see, do you see <laughs> the timetable? Well, I wouldn't, put a, I wouldn't put a date in it on it, but um, <laughs> I would say I'd say I'd have to agree. You know, we're, there's a bit of momentum there, and we do have four or five songs that are that we're working on for the next album already. You know, so I mean, we just have to build on that a bit. Uh, the other thing we we used to practice uh, practice in Blarney, which is a bit of a trek out to to the practice room, and now we practice in town, which is suiting us a lot better. <laughs> And so you're much more likely to say, "Oh, let's practice tonight," um, and we're not. Um, so the logistics have changed. Yeah, yeah. We've got a much better setup as well, recording-wise, for recording what we're what we're what we're our ideas and things like that. So we have a little uh, eight-track uh, recorder, so we can put down ideas, and work on them in town. You know, okay. So it's it, it's your own. Setup. It's your own studio in town. It's it's really just a practice a rehearsal space, but with oh, okay. with the with the multi-track. Um, system set up yeah yeah so it's our own it, it is our own space so all the gear is just set up there and that, that that's one of the hassles with uh, maybe practicing previously is that you you're kind of disassembling and reassembling gear but we've got a dedicated space now everything is set up there um the recording setup is set up there so yeah it just lends itself to just going in and doing something creative and productive as opposed to um so setting up gear setting and up taking it, it back down again <laughs> <laughs> um I, I guess you might um play kind of uh compare and contrast to this time to 20 years ago like when you were starting out in cork like where were you practicing in cork uh like when you were starting out yeah it was as, as cormac mentioned it was in blarney but uh morris our drummer his dad is a farmer his brother is now running the farm and uh, he had a milking parlor and there was a loft above the milking parlor a really <laughs> really pretty grimy place i'm wondering where this is going (laughs) (laughs) and we used we had a we had a we had a space up there that we used to practice in um and it was grand yeah all the gear was set up up there um and actually when that we we got signed to an american label and they sent over a a producer this guy daniel presley to record the first album but he spent a couple of weeks with us in blarney you know fine-tuning the songs working on arrangements and so forth and uh yeah, he was, he was from the middle of New York City, so it was, it was a bit of an eye-opener for he, him. To he'd be never take... seen cows before, is that, that right? Yeah, he'd yeah, never seen cows, cow, in, yeah. In, 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 rea- in reality. <laughs> and, uh, we, used to, he, we always had to dust off our clothes at the end of each day because yeah. there was so much dust in the Yeah, you see the odd rat running along the floor <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, you know. So it was pretty, it was pretty gritty, you know. Um, and yeah, and we, we, were, we were there for a long time. And then we moved into, Morris's parents had a and b so we moved into a room there and... Just for the last five years, we've got a dedicated space now in the middle of town, so that that really lends itself to being a lot more creative. And what was the scene in Cork like back at the end of the 90s? I was talking to Mary Hickson um, from Sounds from Safe Harbour uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and she was talking about, you know, Killian Murphy's band playing in oh, yeah. uh, The Half Moon yeah. um, and stuff like that. It sounds like it was a it was a fun time to yeah. be in Cork and like playing music, being a fan of music. Yeah, it was. I mean, the lobby was great. That was a great venue. And we played the lobby a good few times in the 2000s, you know. Yeah, I saw Killian's band, actually. Sons um, of Mr. Green Jeans there a good few times as yeah, well. Yeah, we saw, we saw yeah. them in the Half Moon Club a lot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We would have been... They, they were in residency, so we, they'd be on every week. Yeah, they're really they were great. They were really jazz good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> legends. But, uh, I often yeah, wonder what the bass player is, is doing. He was yeah, a great bass player. he was a great bass player. Yeah. Amazing bass player. I don't know where he went to. And yeah. Killian's great guitar as well <laughs> um so yeah well i mean there was a good scene i mean the, there was a f- obviously a great 
great range of venues. The lobby was a fantastic place for us because it's a very quiet venue. It mm. really suited what we were doing. Um, we had orange fetishes. There were a few other bands around yeah. and we, at the time. Before Bo Marty, I guess, we, we all played in various kind of um, guitar-based rock bands, uh, pavement style, I guess. You know, loud, distorted guitars um, in various venues around the place. I guess our... Our kind of spiritual meeting place was the, the Liberty Bar in, in South Main Street. So we used to hang out there a lot. Um, so, you know, that where, where the likes of the Franco Walters and the Sultans and all those guys used to hang out there as well. Um, playing just, you know, loud, noisy guitar music. And uh, so we were in a band called The Lemmings, another band called Hubble. And, you know, so we played Henry's and uh, supported the Franks on a couple of occasions. And Connolly's of Lep was another place that we played a lot, actually. Um, there used to be a scene where, you know, uh, practically every weekend there was a bus going from the Grand Parade down to Connolly's Alep to, to gigs. Um, so it was a very, it was a very, uh, yeah, it, it, there was a diverse range of venues and there was, there was bands playing every weekend. Um, uh, so it was, it was very, very vibrant, actually. It was really vibrant. And for whatever reason, I think as it went into the late 90s and noughties, it did tend to take a bit of a downward turn. Yeah, you could kind of feel that happening. Just, mm. I guess, Henry's is the obvious example yeah. to mm. use. Like, it was definitely on its uh, last legs. Mm. Then yeah. you could see it. And, yeah. the, and the Liberty closed as well around that time. Mm. Remember, the, so so that was the big meeting place, you know. Um, so that was sort of the heart. I would say that was really the heart of the thing, the, the Liberty Bar. Mm. And um, so and then the lobby, the lobby closed as well, while yeah. much later. Um, so I suppose things have changed and move on and develop in different ways yeah i guess yeah the celtic tiger probably s started to establish itself late late 90s as well and maybe maybe that maybe that um, maybe, yeah. brought about a lot of changes you know physically in terms of venues and so forth um yeah and it, it's it's really interesting actually because as as that whole scene was changing the whole music industry was changing almost in parallel um you know so when we were signed initially we recorded an ep in 1998 that we we you know we sent out to record companies that's the way it was done back then i guess and uh, we were taken up by an american record company called mood food and they pay you know they paid for us they paid for a producer paid for us to go into a studio for weeks on end um to in dublin to record mix and master an album you know so spent a good five-figure sum on us um but you know so that was around you know early noughties um, but at that stage, the, the Internet was starting to become more of a force and there was a consolidation, I guess, of smaller record labels to the point where the, the record company we signed to went bankrupt. Um, uh, we had to work our way out of that contract, I guess, and we, we ended up getting signed again a second time to, uh, to a record label in Scotland. So that was kind of uh, that's kind of the way it worked back then. If you were if you were a band, then you were half decent. You put your stuff out there. Record labels actually listened to your stuff, um, like you send them in CDRs or whatever, or DAT tapes in some cases, or even you know old C90s or whatever. And they they actually listened to that stuff. They picked up on stuff that they they found was interesting, and they signed you up to a contract. Um, so we came in at the very end of that of maybe that whole scene in terms of how bands introduced themselves to labels and how labels signed bands and and was that kind of a sense that was there across like other cork bands as well like record labels were kind of putting money into the scene maybe 
I don't know if you could call it post Frank and Walters, like, you know, maybe it's a little bit later than their uh, big heyday, I suppose. But were there other Cork bands who are kind of like E, kind of getting investment to go into the studio? There definitely was on the back of the Franks and Sultans. So that came, that came a bit before us, I guess. And um, yeah, there was a, there was a bit of a wave there. Emperor of Ice Cream. Yeah, there was Emperors of Ice Cream. Emperors of Ice Cream. Yeah, it would have been the, 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 the most notable example, I guess. But there were other bands that that had a lot that had record company interests and Simple a, a, Kit, remember his yeah his, his, um, and a and r men used to used to come in and go to gigs around town because there was at least a, an illusion created that there was a really a healthy music scene in cork and there was a healthy music scene but it was probably maybe overstated to some extent on the back of the success of the franks and the sultans um so yeah it was a it was a different model i guess to to completely to to what exists today and it sounds like Cork was kind of maybe more optimistic in kind of the late 90s and very early noughties as compared to, say, 2002 to 2006. Was it just with like Henry's closing and the lobby closing and things like that? Did you feel did it actually feel like as the Celtic Tiger took hold that Cork music maybe did take a bit of a dip? It's all, it's all kind of before my time. Yeah, you yeah, know, sure. it's, a, it's like five years or so before I, yeah. I moved to Cork. So I'm just kind of interested. Like I always thought that the late 90s in Cork was were the years you don't hear about but maybe it's slightly later than that I guess mm. that there's bands like Stanley Super 800 who come to mind Fred yeah. who come to mind yeah 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 Yeah, and there's probably there's probably a great historical research project that that, that could be done around this whole part uh, this whole topic you know going from the early 90s uh, with the arrival of the Sultans of Franks through to the, the, the mid noughties and and there are exceptions, you know, like Fred had great success right the way through the noughties and great international success even as well. Um, but yeah, I think there was certainly a contraction in terms of just the volume of music, the volume of bands, uh, the number of venues as it went into the kind of mid-noughties period. Do you feel nostalgic for it at all, like back in those days, or do you think... Cork is kind of better. Music is kind of better the way that you do have like all of all of the music, like literally in the palm of your hands. Well, I, I, I mean, nostalgic. Yeah, I mean, there were great times. Obviously, you go through different phases of your life where you're going to a lot of gigs and things like that. and You've probably got more time on your hands <laughs> to go to these things and, and, and be part of the scene. I certainly wouldn't consider myself to be part of the scene anymore. We, I don't know if we really are. You know, I mean there's there's some great bands obviously in cork at the moment but i wouldn't pretend to know much about what's really happening uh, you know in in the music scene in cork at the moment i just um you know i go to <laughs> i go to what i want to go to and then i, I head home so <laughs> i don't know yeah and i i think i i think um from my perspective i i, I think I, I yeah i don't feel nos- nostalgic necessarily um I think there's as much opportunity there as there ever was from a musical perspective because, the, you know, the models, the, the music industry model might have changed an awful lot. Um, but in, so, in some ways, it's easier to get music out there and get it heard now than it was. You know, with our first album, we, there was an infrastructure in place around record labels who were looking for bands, signing them and releasing and distributing their stuff. Um, I think through the noughties, with myspace coming on board particularly and also uh, just a growth in streaming and piracy that that model kind of uh contracted an awful lot or 
um, certainly certainly reduced significantly. You know, by the time it came to our second album, for example, we we did the old thing that we did with the first one and uh, moved it around to lots of record companies. Um, but we didn't get any bite because at that stage, a lot of the indies had just shut down completely. Um, and uh, and like our the record label that we that released our first album, Shoeshine, you know, they 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 just completely limited their release to you know from three to four albums a year down to maybe one every two or three years. Just it wasn't uh, enough money to be made out of out of selling the the music really for yeah, physical product. You know, that's exactly it. People weren't buying enough. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we were. So therefore, we we did a self release, which um, which which was you know. So we got the physical product made. We recorded it ourselves, made the product, got it hosted on the various digital distribution outlets. Um, did did the PR, all of that stuff that we had, that had been handled by a record company previously, but really the infrastructure that was two thousand and nine, was far more uh, immature than it is today. For instance, for releasing for self-releasing um, albums, so we were we were really prepared to release this album ourselves on on our own label, um, because you've got infrastructure like Bandcamp available. You know, you've got Spotify for artists. Uh, and you know bandcamp is a great tool you know we've we've sold a lot of physical pre-orders through it over the past month um that that didn't exist as a as an outlet really in 2009 um or maybe it was in its, just in its very very uh, at a very immature stage you know so so i think the the infrastructure is there today to get your music heard uh far more so than it would have been even 10 years ago yeah, and you're not independently releasing it, are you? Uh, you've got a, a record label that's doing it now, don't you? Gar- yeah, Gardenor Records in London. Are, it must be a nice, it. nice kind of, uh, a, a kind of not a pat on the back, but uh, kudos, I suppose, yeah. that a record label does want to release it for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's I suppose a bit of validation that it's it's there's something there, um, and I think. Um, they seem to be really good people to work with, and that's a small label. But um, but you're right; it does give it a bit of a rubber stamp that that the that it's um, and it gets it it. I suppose hopefully it'll get noticed a bit more in the press as a result. But you know we'll we'll see. It's but it's great to be working with them in London. Hopefully they can set up a few gigs in London as well, and we can play some shows there. And um, so it's and it gets you into record shops in the UK, obviously. So that that carries a bit of weight. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I mean, yeah. So it's good. It gives us a channel into the UK that yeah. you know possibly wouldn't have availed of. You know, I think we probably just would would have stuck with the internet model around Bandcamp and Spotify and Apple Music and so forth. But yeah, having that real uh, kind of road meaningful channel into the UK is a big help, obviously. Yeah. And so we're, this podcast will be going out um, on monday a couple of days after your show at sounds from a safe harbor uh what plans do you have for the rest of the year then you've got a couple of shows lined up i think you're playing the glucksman for culture night on september 20th any other plans um off the top of my head uh yeah we're playing i guess the the, the album release proper uh is happening in the roundy on um on october the 19th so that's uh that's been working with jimmy and the guys there to get that set up um, we're, we've got a gig in Dublin then on October the 24th um, in a venue called Barbello in Portobello. Um, so looking forward to that. 
we, as you mentioned, we've got the Glucksman. We've got a couple of other things coming up kind of later in the year, in November as well, that aren't fully confirmed yet. So um, probably not in a position to talk about them. But And as Cormac mentioned, also looking at a couple of London gigs before year end as well. And and then uh, getting back in the studio and recording the next <laughs> album. Straight away. Or will we take a break? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take Christmas <laughs> off, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Bask in the Glory, guys. It's a really uh, great album. And uh, thanks for chatting on the podcast. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks, Owen. Appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. Cool.